Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from In the Forests of the Night, a collection of very adult fairy tales, written by Vanessa Desaad. Bedtime Stories for Naughty Adults In the Forests of the Night is a darkly sensual collection of erotic fairy tales, blending the magic and fantasy of traditional fables with carnality and lust. Offering more than mere spiced-up retellings of popular fairy tales, it draws broad inspiration from stories that have become part of our collective subconscious, borrowing imagery and atmosphere for very contemporary scenarios. It effectively reconnects these narratives with their long-dormant sensuality. The characters don't inhabit ivory towers, nor are they the epitome of perfection. They are human, and flawed, and quite affecting, and not necessarily physically perfect or predictably endowed. Vanessa Desaad blurs the lines of the hetero and homeoerotic, reveling in voyeurism and the vicarious thrill of pansexual abandon with a style that subtly blends horror, obsession, and madness. Very naughty indeed. And now for your listening pleasure an excerpt from In the Forests of the Night. Cinderella Story 1. I find myself standing in just my bra and knickers in a line of similarly clad girls, all impatient to strip down to the buff in front of a panel of total strangers in the hope of getting a place on this new reality TV show. Face yourself naked, it's going to be called, an after-watershed piece of sleaze where wannabes strip off in front of a panel of designers who then take them out shopping, hopefully dressed, and make swans out of their ugly ducklings for the viewer's delight. It is, of course, a completely contemptible form of entertainment, and yet, here too am I, bearing my sizable ass along with all the other hopefuls for the chance of a bit of fame and some well-needed cash. It's a bad idea, Solly, my agent, says to me, shaking his head in that fatalistic way he does when I suggest something that he doesn't approve of. No one ever achieves lasting fame from TV talent shows. Ah, but it's hardly a talent show now, is it? So who knows, I say, posing a rhetorical question that I don't expect him to answer, though he shakes his head anyway. And let's face it, Solly, you're the 33rd best agent in London, and even you can't get the Royal Shakespeare Company to pick up the phone, so I need to do something. I can get you Minnie Mouse at Euro Disney, he says with faint hope in his voice, but I'm already out of the door. And so here I stand, practically nude, shivering in the wings of the huge stage at Studio One watching the minuscule girl ahead of me walk out into the single spot and face the panel. All right, love, lose the bra. I hear a bored voice from the auditorium shout, and pausing only momentarily to smirk sideways at me, the smug bitch confidently shucks her top and places her hands confidently on her hips, smiling like she's actually shown them something. Very nice, now the rest, please the voice calls, though I don't know what she's looking so chuffed about. I've seen more breasts on a frozen chicken portion. 
but despite my lack of enthusiasm, she proceeds to lose her knickers anyway and pulls her child-sized cute kitty panties down to the floor. Oh, nice. Very nice. The voice from the pit says again, betraying his stunning vocabulary. Now give us a twirl. Miss Perfect Pants, who's Japanese or Korean or something else annoyingly petite, momentarily takes her index finger out of her mouth and turns to show them her puny jailbait ass. Then, with a totally sickening giggle, gathers up her undies and bounces off the stage, shooting me another one of her smug little grins as she does. Next! the voice calls, but I'm too busy wishing her an attack of embarrassingly positioned genital warts to hear until I suddenly become aware of someone shouting, Number 378, please. And I realise with a horrible, sinking feeling that it's my turn to mount this scaffold and throw my last remaining scraps of dignity to the winds. There are three of them huddled around the table in the dark auditorium. Two wet-looking blokes with immaculately barbered tintin coifs and matching Dolce and Gabbana sweaters, and a tall, thin girl with a razor-sharp fringe and big glasses worn low on the edge of her delightfully turned-up nose. Okay, love, the first boy detective says disinterestedly, punching a text into his hyper-expensive mobile computer pad thingy as he talks. Show us the goods. At this point, I'm still not sure whether I should strip off or not, but figuring that I've come this far anyway, so what the hell? I pull my marks and sparks knickers down and then quickly unfasten my double D bra, also from the same popular high street emporium, and stand before them completely starkers, my face wearing my famous want-a-piece-of-me scowl. Ugh, Bush, Tintin number one says in disgust, writing something in real ink on the sheet before him. Okay, thanks for coming in, love. That's all. Next, please. I'm about to say, what? What? She gets to show you her bum and I don't because I really, really want to stick my sizable ass out at these three, big time, when the girl speaks. That was very good, Amanda. Thank you. Leave your card at the stage door, please, and tell them to mark it for Georgie, okay? I nod completely nonplussed by the first bit of civility I've been shown all day, and then she goes and tops it all by smiling at me. And I'm standing there as naked as the day I was born, rooted to the spot and staring at her like a goon, this big goofy grin on my face until I suddenly become aware of the next hopeful behind me, boring holes into my back with her eyes, and I quickly get the hell off that stage. Two. When I get home, Lucas, my future ex-boyfriend, is sitting on the bed composing a symphony into his computer. Lucas has been my future ex for about two years now, I just haven't got round to telling him that it's all over between us. I first met him in my final year drama school where he was the orchestra leader for our degree show production and he sort of drifted into my bed sometime around then and has been living off my protesting credit card balance ever since. Not that he's much trouble, of course. He eats practically nothing, doesn't have any possessions as such, and his sole occupation in life is the composition of unsaleable symphonic music on his computer, so most of the time I forget that he's even there. Oh, and did I mention he has the most fantastic cock ever? That's also why I never get round to breaking it off with him. I just get one look at Captain Cocky and I think... 
Oh, Hal, just one last blowjob and then I'll tell him. But then, of course, I, I never do. And that's just what happens today, because basically I'm on the verge of bankruptcy and can't afford to carry him any longer. And I'd resolve to break things off with him tonight right after the audition, but I'm so goddamned horny when I get in, I just flop down on the bed and unzip him, pushing his laptop roughly to one side, and darling boy that he is, it only takes him a matter of seconds to stiffen up, and by the time I've got his zip down and his underpants pulled to one side, he's as hard as a mahogany carving and raring to go. That's nice, he whispers. And hello, Amanda. I take it you got the part then. Little beads of crystal clear pre-cum already forming around the sticky little slit at the top of his cock, and I can feel my cunt juicing up as I lick up all his salty goodness and he leans back to enjoy the delights to come. Nope, I say quickly before I start, since I'm an old-fashioned girl and know that it's rude to speak with your mouth full. I won't know until next week. He laughs softly as I take the hot head of his very stiff and naked cock into my mouth and tease him with my lips. So what's all this in aid of then? He asks, closing his eyes and trying to keep his voice level, which I can tell you he's failing miserably at as I take him deeper, and deeper into my mouth, my tongue frenching the tip of his prick and driving him wild. And what is it all in aid of? I ask myself as my eager mouth goes up and down on him and my wet pussy demands to be stripped naked and fucked. Yes, fucked. Not gently stroked or licked, but the full Monty fuckeroo extravaganza. Is it because it's finally over with him and I want to go out with a bang, or is it really because I've just shown my bare fanny to a cute girl with glasses and she's got me incredibly hot? Neither option, of course, is something that I want to explore particularly right now, and as Lucas's body goes rigid and he starts to thrust violently into my mouth, I quickly bring him off, swallowing down all his hot semen as he pumps his desire into me coming off him while his orgasm is still spurting out of his huge, swollen dick, and ripping my jeans and panties off in one, I sit on him, cowgirl-style, and proceed to fuck his brains out. 3. There are two messages on my machine when I get in on Monday, one rather cryptic one from Georgie asking me to call by to her office tomorrow night, and a second from Lucas to tell me that he's moved out and I could forward his mail. Seems he's met a tuba player from Huddersfield and they want to make beautiful music together. Oh, so much for my indefinable feminine intuition. Anyway, though I'll certainly miss his very obliging cock, I'm not exactly broken up by my now current ex's sudden departure though I wonder if the tuba player knows exactly what she's in for way up there in the grim north. But frankly, I'm more concerned by Georgie's monosyllabic memorandum to care. And I play it back again, but to no avail, I'm still mystified. Have I got the effing part, or haven't I? I grumble to myself, playing the message repeatedly, and putting my full actress training to use, but, though I ponder over it till well after midnight, I'm still completely in the dark over Georgie's motivation, and so I decide to just show up at her office and find out. 
I arrive at Channel One Steel and Glass headquarters in a quiet cul-de-sac behind the Barbican at exactly 7.05, just as most of the lights are going out in the main reception and the cleaning crew are trundling big Dalek-like machines across the polished marble floors of the corridors. A grumbling concierge buzzes Georgie and confirms that, yes, I actually do have an appointment at this bleeding hour, and dragging his lardy arse off his seat escorts me to the lifts and sends me whooshing up to the requisite floor of the dark and silent building. Amanda, down this way. Georgie's voice calls to me as the doors open with a quiet hiss like something off the Enterprise. It's a bit dark at this time of night, but just walk towards me and the motion sensors will detect you and put the lights on. Th this way? I ask hesitantly, taking a step towards her in the gloom, and sure enough, dim blue lights flicker into life along the long corridor of closed doors, and I see her distantly, framed in a tiny yellow rectangle of light at her office door. <sighs> Sorry about dragging you in at this hour, she says, vanishing into her den before I even get there. The endless row of closed doors like something out of Alice in Wonderland. I just didn't want us to be disturbed. Ah, there you are. Come on in and make yourself at home. Her office is a tiny oasis of low-tech in this H.G. Wells-conceived structure. With an old oakwood desk and a battered sofa, the walls covered in cork tiles that are groaning under the weight of our prints picture postcards and snapshots of the family dog. In fact, it's more like being in her kitchen than her office. And I, I half expect to see a fridge under the desk with children's drawings blue-tacked to its pitted surface. Yes, well, you're here. Great, she says, looking me up and down. Well, I won't beat about the bush. I think you're a very strong possibility for the pilot episode of Face Yourself, but I wanted to audition you again myself just to make sure before we move to contract. Is that okay? I'd stopped listening after the words a very strong possibility and just stood there nodding like an idiot. They were offering me a part. There, there, there would be money in my bank account. My mortgage company wouldn't foreclose on me after all. Holy fuck, I could even buy chocolate. So can we begin? Georgie's voice interrupts my orgasmic fantasy of snorting fries, chocolate, creme of Chippendale chests. <laughs> I picked a time when we'd have the place to ourselves. I had suddenly stopped thinking chocolate and was taking in what she really wanted me to do. And suddenly the presence of the old sofa in her room didn't feel quite so comforting anymore. You mean you want to see me naked again? I asked boldly. She flushed a little, but it was only a momentary lapse. Please, she nodded. You're going to have to spend a long time in the buff on set. I just want to be sure you can handle it. So, we're doing what exactly? Well, I thought, if you can, you know, strip and are naked with me for a while rather than just a quick flash on stage, I can relax and know that you're not going to get cold feet and freak out on me on set. Is that okay? It wasn't at all okay, but I knew that this private strip show was what was going to clinch the part for me, so I nodded and 
She gave me that smile again that turned my legs to jelly. How do you want me to undress? I asked, laying my coat over the back of her chair and stepping out of my shoes. She almost flushed again. Oh, any, any way you like, she lied, watching me expectantly. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't a strip tease. I nodded and turned my back to her so she wouldn't see the look of cynicism on my face. Like, fuck, it wasn't a strip tease. Unzip me, please, I said. Her ever so slightly tremulous fingers found my zipper and pulled it slowly down, savouring it, and I thought I heard her catch her breath, though she disguised it well. Nice undies, <laughs> she said appreciatively as I stepped out of my dress. Designer? Marks, I replied, turning to face her as I slipped my panties down, my cunt level with her eyes as she sat surveying me from her couch. Do you always do that? she asked, her saucer-wide eyeballs never leaving my crotch. Do what? Take your knickers off before your bra. You did last time, too. Most people go bra first. <laughs> I laughed, enjoying the feel of her eyes on my pussy a lot more than I should. It's just the way I undress when I'm alone, I fibbed, knowing full well that I looked super sexy standing there in just my bra. This isn't a striptease, after all. Of course, she nodded and reached for her clipboard to make a note. Okay, can you turn and let me see your back? That's what the viewers are mostly going to see. We want to be network rather than cable, so we're not doing too much full frontal. Sure, I said, and swiveled around for her, feeling her big brown eyes caressing the dimpled curves of my big white ass. Georgie swallowed. You've got a lovely bum, she whispered. Like one of those paintings of Venus in the National Gallery. I smiled in spite of myself and turned to face her again. Should I take my bra off too? She pushed her glasses up her beautiful nose and nodded. Please, was all she said. You're flirting with her, Amanda, I told myself as I fumbled behind my back for the catch. I hope you know what you're doing. I laughed inwardly, but without humour. I had really no idea what I was doing. Those are great breasts, too, Georgie was saying, eating me up with her eyes. And I love the way your nipples are standing up like that. That'll look great on screen. I smiled again. Hmm, it's cold in here, I said with a straight face, though the room was warm and soporific. They always do that when I'm cold. Or excited. She gulped again. I see, was all she managed, her eyes going from my nipples to my bush and back again. And I found myself wondering what her pussy would be like. Furry or shaved, I wondered. Shaved, I thought. Then, no, not shaved, waxed, smooth as silk. For fuck's sake, Amanda, my inner voice interrupted. What are you playing at here? Are you interested in another girl? I honestly don't know, I replied. I'm confused, that's for sure. What's that, honey? Georgie's voice interrupted. 
I, I was wondering if I'd got the part yet, I said quickly, regaining my composure. Oh, yes, she replied, smiling. You heard the part when you asked me to unzip you. 4. An envelope bearing the Channel One logo arrived a few days later with a contract and a sizable advance payment, and before I knew it I was being whisked off to the Elstree Studios to meet the designers, a motley crew of highly camp eccentrics who immediately took me to their collective bosoms, big arse and all, and Georgie never left my side. Plus, she closed the set on the day that I paraded myself in the buff, admitting only essential personnel as I bared my all to the nation. And she accompanied us all on the location shoots as the team trundled me around Knightsbridge boutiques, spending the production company's money like it was going out of fashion. And then suddenly, as quickly as it had all begun, it was the last day of shooting and the crew were getting ready to wrap, and I realized that I would never see her again. They'd restyled my hair and bought me scores of new outfits, which I got to keep, by the way. But my favorite dress by far was a long black Christian Dior ball gown, encrusted in tiny black beads that shimmered in the light and made me look like a voluptuous Audrey Hepburn. And I wore it for the after-show party at the Savoy. Waiters in penguin suits were pushing champagne into my hands as I arrived, fresh from the taxi cab, and the whole room burst into a spontaneous round of applause as I entered and everyone wanted to dance with me, fitting in their fifteen minutes with Cinderella at the ball before midnight struck and I turned back into the pumpkin girl again. But the one person that I was looking for was missing. Yes, after being my constant shadow for two whole weeks, Georgie, my Prince Charming, wasn't there. Five. It was after one in the morning and the party was breaking up and I'd had far more champagne than was good for me. Some of the camera crew were drunk and dozing by the bandstand, exhausted from the last two weeks of frantic filming. And the musicians were looking at their watches and waiting for the signal to wrap things up for the night. This is my favourite song. A voice whispered in my ear as the orchestra began the last waltz. A slow version of an old Billie Holiday number a throaty brass saxophone moaning out the plaintive melody. Shall we dance? I turned, slightly unsteady on my feet, and there she was, hair slicked back with brilliantine, her long, thin body clad in a sleek tuxedo, her firm little bum accentuated by the fine charcoal silk trousers, her modest breasts perky under her starched white shirt and bow tie. You came. I whispered as she took me into her arms. I tried to stay away, but it didn't work. She spoke into my ear, her words like kisses on my skin. I'm glad, I said back, inhaling her perfume and drawing her close to me, her skinny body hot and vibrant against the softness of my big white breasts, all exposed and vulnerable in my dress's plunging neckline. She whispered, her eyes meeting mine, big and naked, pleading with me, our lips brushing against each other's, then meeting, touching, melting, as I felt her consuming me. Oh, no, Georgie, I can't, I said desperately, pushing her away. I'm only doing this because I'm drunk and I like you. I'll only hurt you in the morning. 
No, you won't, she whispered back, pulling me close to her again as the melody soared and all around us couples kissed and loved each other. You could never hurt me, just as I couldn't hurt you. Oh, I don't know, I began. Well, I do, she said and kissed me again, and after that I was lost. Six. She'd thought ahead and booked a room and had slid me out of my incredibly expensive ball gown and onto the bed before we'd even locked the door. I love you, Amanda McIntyre. She breathed as she caressed me all over, her nimble fingers quickly denuding me as she rained kisses all over my yearning skin. Yes, I know you do, I gasped back, wanting to push her head right down to my hot, wet slit. I've been so afraid that you wouldn't that I'd love you back. And do you? She asked, suddenly as fragile as a skeleton leaf, her eyes like a hallmark puppy dog. I don't know, I replied mischievously, tugging at her shirt fasteners. I haven't inspected the merchandise yet. Bitch. Mm. She mouthed at me, but pulled her shirt open for me in a shower of buttons nevertheless, quickly yanking her tiny bra off behind it. Like? she asked, raising herself on her elbows and dangling her diminutive breasts in my face. And I did like, though they were tiny, almost like a boy's chest, but the nipples unmistakably female, sugar pink and rubbery with excitement. Very much. I replied, kissing, sucking, nibbling, delighting in her gasps of pleasure. But you're not naked yet, Amanda, she began, but I wasn't listening as I clambered on top of her and roughly unfastened her trousers and pulled them down. Oh, yes, I gasped, surveying her. Her legs were long and skinny like a supermodel's, white as snow with no hips, and all she had on now was a pair of rather strange black panties, like the kind that fat old grandmas wear to keep their tummies tucked in, except that she didn't have any tummy, or any other fat for that matter, yet there was a distinct bulge in her knickers where no bulge should have been. Ah, she said, standing up. I suppose the fuck stops here. I just looked at her nonplussed and then finally spoke. Show me. I whispered, and she complied. She slid the heavy, elasticized pants down to her thighs and a long, thin cock sprang out, painfully aroused and mouth-wateringly erect. The skin on her navel was whiter than virgin snow, her pubic hair ebony black, but the cock itself was the color of old ivory, it's in my exposed head, ready brown and wet with excitement. I was staring at her like an idiot, my mouth open, but also the most aroused I'd ever been in my life. What? How? I said stupidly. She sighed. You know those babies you hear about that don't have a gender when they're born? Well, you've met one. My parents opted for me being a girl, and that was fine, except that when I was ten years old, Georgie Jr. here put in an appearance. I was supposed to have surgery, I just haven't been able to do it yet. Her voice trailed off as tears ran down her cheek. Well, that's my story. 
I expect you'll want to go now. Just remember who gave you your first break in television before you start spreading the rumours around, though. She was crying hard now, and taking her sobbing body into my arms. I whispered, I won't be telling anybody, you idiot. And I'm not leaving, and I'm very glad you never had surgery. You're not, she said, surprised, the half-flaccid Georgie Jr. quickly stiffening up again as I rubbed my very horny pussy up against him. No, I'm not, I said softly. Now tell me, Georgie girl, have you ever fucked a woman before? She shook her head, her mouth creasing into a smile as I took a beautiful stiff prick into my hand and guided it gently into my hot, wet quim. No, I've never even shown it to anyone before. That's good, I said, closing my eyes as she slid her whole length deep inside me. Because I want to be your first and I really want you inside me before I tell you something. She held her breath and pushed hard up into me, where I wanted her to be, where she belonged. Like we were two interlocking jigsaw pieces finally united, and I never wanted to let her go. What do you want to say? She begged, fucking me hard, impatient, frantic, already desperate to come. <laughs> Can't you guess? Yes, but I need you to say it. She panted, her big cock plumbing my deepest depths. I smiled and kissed her, kissed her hard and deep, filled her mouth with my tongue the way her cock was filling up my cunt, pulled her to me as I felt myself start to come like a tidal wave smashing into a shore and obliterating all that lies in its path, Georgie's orgasm shooting, scalding hot inside me as I came hard and long and screamed out the words she wanted to hear. I love you, Georgie girl, and I'll love you forever and ever. And I did. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from In the Forests of the Night. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.